Well, the producer has just told me to <laughs> bent away. <laughs> so I <laughs> guess we just have to go for it. Which now. is possibly the most Irish thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Belt away there. <laughs> I do wonder where the phrase belt away comes from. Because is it literally lashing someone with a belt? No, yeah, I, I assume it, it came from just beating your child with <laughs> a belt. <laughs> it's a reference to... Belt away is a reference to corporal punishment. <laughs> Hello, everyone. You're very welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. Uh, my name, as usual, as it was uh, some time ago, uh, uh, yesterday and probably tomorrow as well, is Paddy. I'm joined by uh, Lenny Bickerdyke. Say hi, Lenny. Hello. Hello. And Stephen, better known as Hog and Dice Productions. Hello. Welcome, Stephen. Or partially known as that, at least. I thought you were going to say Hagen dazs ice cream. Honestly, <laughs> Hagen dazs ice cream. It is very early, and, <laughs> and it's very hot outside. <laughs> the Irish don't do very well in the heat. It's a beautiful, warm, sunny day, listeners, outside there. And uh, Irish people get how many sunny days a year? About six. <laughs> maybe seven on a good year maybe seven on a good year so we go kind of mental is there I'm trying to think is there any there's no heat stories in Irish folklore why there? would there be <laughs> that's, that's true there's no one going mad in the heat there was no sun until the 70s that's all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't invented we hadn't imported it until then I'm thinking of you know uh, Bill Bailey in black books you know oh, yeah. he, he, he has to stay below <laughs> a certain temperature I'm wondering if they're like cuckoo if he got it, if he got over thirty-five Celsius, yeah, uh, he did generate loads of heat when he was in Riestrad, though, didn't he? Oh, that's true. When he went into the battle frenzy, the battle frenzy is a bit weird, though, because all of his body contorts. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's 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 pure horror just yeah, describing it. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, the question box. Rattle right the question box there for me. We, we've, we've just taken everything taken out. Taken every oh, question so literally out of it. I, no, I can't do my bit. It's a, a box of magic. Uh, but the magic is now scattered across the table. <laughs> we have splurged the magic all over the table, everybody. Okay, let's take some questions. Uh, <laughs> we're very giddy today. What is the best worst Irish myth joke? Uh, is there such thing as an Irish I don't myth know. joke? I haven't heard many. There's there's a lot in the town. There's a few references, all right, to um, not being able to satisfy your wife. Yeah, yeah, kind of as references to to swords as as being quite uh, phallic. There uh, was um uh Cuchulain when he was about seven. The 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 pickup line he used was um he he just saw down a woman's dress and like there lays a sweet country. I would rest my weapon there. <laughs> oh and it's God. not really a joke, but I thought it was hilarious. Well, the producer has just told us the, the, <laughs> a joke. What do Irish ghosts say to small children? Pookaboo. <laughs> how many for more, How many Morians does it take to conquer a country? Four Morians. <laughs> oh, dear. Jokes. Terrible, terrible so jokes. I, I have a question here, which I think is addressed to all of us. Can you do magic? I actually do a magic piece in my intro. You do really? a magic yes. piece in your oh. intro? Oh, yeah. So I will get um, a member who is who has come into the museum, and I'll ask them to be my magic assistant, and I will rub their hands and give them magic. And when they knock on the walls, the oh. secret door to the magic tunnel will open. I've been trying to get that thing to open for years. 
And God. really, we can all do the magic of storytelling. Oh, uh, stop. stop. I can make a cake disappear. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, next question. Uh, have you a question there, lady? Do I have one? I do. And at this table, who would I like to curse and how? Okay. So How would you curse me? I don't know. It would have to be something that I know that you really wouldn't like. Okay. So maybe I might send you to Fibbers. Oh. That would be something I could imagine that you wouldn't like. For those people who won't know, Fibbers is the type of pub where you leave your shoes at the door the door before you go in uh, or the, you, the kind of pub where you come home having one uh, shoe been stolen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's where a certain amount of body hair is required the door. Stephen you'd be grand oh weirdly Fibbers is quite a bit nicer now than it used to be when I frequented it so if I was to put a curse on you Stephen would you rather fight ten duck sized bears or one bear sized duck <laughs> Okay, you see, the thing is, the answer either way, because you're giving me animals, the answer either way is I'm going to make friends. Okay. (laughs) I wasn't expecting your answer to be so graceful. (laughs) All you'd have to do, of course, be is, you know, put me in polystyrene. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We were talking. The sound of it, (laughs) everything. I have to leave the room if someone puts a blade across polystyrene. It drives me nuts. (laughs) Oh, God. So uh, the uh, the the theme, as much as any of our episodes has a theme, uh, the theme for today's episode is flora and fauna, nature and animals, mm-hmm. nature, and it is a bright sunny day, which, which is very appropriate. We'll start with our little nature facts, shall we? So yeah, yeah. I'll start. One of my favourite nature facts is the one about hummingbirds. Not everybody knows that we have hummingbirds in Ireland. In Irish, they're either cruithine or Bura an Ishka, which is uh, the water spear, which is very Irish, isn't it, to be mm. more impressed by the way that it breaks through the water than its beauty and its colour. And the medieval Irish believed that uh, if you put a mummified hummingbird in with your clothes, in with your wardrobe, it would deter moths, moths, Mm-hmm. Not that the girl you took to the <laughs> communion <laughs> <is not>. no. <laughs> but uh, moths is in the the insect. The if you it would deter moths and it would leave your clothes smelling sweet. But uh, the thing about it that you know keeps you awake at night. The thing that really bothers me about it is all you'd have to do is try it once to find out it didn't work. Yeah. So how did it become popular? How did it become uh, something in folklore? Because everyone knows that all. All that would happen is that your clothes would smell of rotting hummingbird. Is that a kingfisher? Is a kingfisher actually a kind of hummingbird then? Oh, oh it is a kingfisher. That's sorry. Yeah. I'm using the wrong word. It's very early, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. A kingfisher, <laughs> not a hummingbird. Okay. They're probably related. Because I was just thinking as you were describing it, just the way the kingfisher flies, it mm. is a bit hummingbird-like. Yeah. Kingfisher, should I say, not a, not a hummingbird. And the sailors used to also tie them to a post and the direction of their beak would tell the sailors the direction of the prevailing wind so they'd know where to set the sails. But again, surely there's an easy, easier way to do that than to capture a kingfisher, mummify it and 
tie it to a post. Oh, I'm just thinking, surely any bird would do that. Like, yeah. it's going to point in the direction the wind is blowing anyway. It has that thing where you put your finger in your mouth and you stick it in the air. <laughs> I don't think that works for anyone, ever. <laughs> I think that's just a TV thing. Foxes, of course, are, mm-hmm. are uh, common imagery. The, the Madra Rua, the red, the red dog. Any, any fox facts? I like foxes. foxes. I do like foxes. They're very nice animals, though they're very, very... Their call at night is traumatizing. Yeah, it yeah. is. They're, <laughs> when they're in amorous copulations, yeah. they, they, they sound terrifying. I'm convinced that that's where the phrase howling like a banshee comes from, because I think it just comes from foxes being in heat outside. So many things we night. have that yeah. screech that could be it. It's probably all of them, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they tell us that they're closer to cats than dogs, but I don't know. I don't think I'd believe that. Well, they're quite nimble. If you've ever actually yeah, seen one up close, they are. they are quite... Yeah, their movements can be quite Eli. When, um, when I lived in Dublin, we had a, a neighbourhood fox. Um, and I would often go for walks at like 2 or 3 a.m. And I'd, yeah. I'd see him... Uh, Quite regularly, it got to the point where he stopped running away when he saw me. I named it Mulder. Mulder the Fox. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I enjoyed that. Uh, uh, my fa- one of my favourite books as a child, it's not the squirrels this time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> my favourite books as a child was Tom McGatron's Run to the Wild series. Mm-hmm. But the, the foxes and uh, how tough their lives were. And we were talking about the animals of far the yes, good. Yeah. And how traumatizing <laughs> the animals of far the good were for Irish children. Because if you're an Irish child, got up about 6 a.m., you turned on RTE, Eurovision, they're not Eurovision, Euronews had just finished. <laughs> and the cartoons would start. And the first one on the playlist from your cartoons was the animals, animals of, of farthing, farthing wood. wood. <laughs> now, oh, I don't know if I know. Is this was the intro of them all going through? Where there was a, a badger, yeah, a fox, and a cat. Was yeah. No, um, badger, a fox, a cat. Or no, there was no cat. There was there an was owl an... and a peregrine oh, falcon I and think a heron. I remember uh, yeah. Vaguely. yeah, and it it was traumatizing for a child. The heron had a hole in its wing. It was called whisker. It had been shot in the wing. And when and it flew, its wing made a whistling sound. <laughs> and the one, one of the episodes was they, they had to cross a busy motorway. Yes, the that's actually the only one I remember. And they, a lot of them did pick it. <laughs> there, was a, there was an episode with a shrike. Uh-huh. Shrikes, they're these tiny little birds of prey. And they're too small to really be able to hold on to their food as they eat it. So yeah. they kill something and then impale it on a thorn or something oh, to eat it there. Oh, and there was a family of field mice traveling with the animals. Oh. And the Shrike just impaled all of them on the brambles. And like it's very graphically in yeah. the cartoon. Yeah. The badger at one stage got Alzheimer's. <laughs> Now, admittedly, maybe it's a good thing to teach children about dementia and Alzheimer's. But the badger got Alzheimer's and then forgot that his best friend had died and assumed that another mole was his best friend. (laughs) And that other mole, rather than tell the badger he wasn't his best friend who had died, kept on living with the badger, pretending to be the old friend. It was... I, and Irish children watched this on the regular. Now, maybe we were able to separate it from, 
from our reality because far we all assumed that Farthing Wood was in England somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching a, actually like a small little mini doc on the children's cartoons over the last kind of 50 or 60 years and how yeah. they have been incredibly inappropriate towards well, children with like I was watching an episode of Steamboat Willie it's from like the 20s the other mm -hmm. day and it literally had someone hang themselves oh. within the cartoon <laughs> and I'm like mm, you're three <laughs> years old you really think it's appropriate to be putting that in but if you ever go back like and watch them as an adult everything yeah. within the cartoons is because they say Spongebob is the seven deadly sins that's what each one represents within oh, it right. so like Mr. Krabs is gluttony so money 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 all yeah. the time and yeah. each one represents yeah one of the seven deadly sins ah. yeah that's amazing mm. I hadn't thought that but Tom McGarrett's the, the foxes one it was you know the fox life obviously is very tough but then the last book around the last book it, it just it just went off the rails because a genetic engineer moved into the neighborhood <laughs> so it meant typical Irish fox life suddenly Biochemist. It's like, it was just bizarre. Then it had a crossover with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing you notice in, in Irish folklore as well is the reference, the amount of references to animals that are no longer with us. Yeah. Things like the white stag and that mm. kind of thing. And, and wolves, obviously, there's a lot of oh, yeah. Yeah. wolves in Irish folklore. The references to animals that are extinct now is kind of sad. The, the last wolf, that was shot in, was it Wicklow or Wexford? I think it was Wicklow. I'm, not, I'm not sure. 1800s, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. It's a lonely creature in the end. Yeah. Well, we have werewolves as well, don't we? we have yeah, the, the fuela. The fuela. Mm. Why don't you tell the listeners a bit more about it? Right, so the 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 Fuela, they were they were kind of friendly werewolves. They could change completely from human to wolf. They didn't have the the intermediary stage that we associate with most werewolves. And they were said to like protect travelers or or especially children who were lost. I think it was which of the saints? There were so many saints. Yeah. I think it was Columbanus cursed the first set of them to be able to change from human to wolves which sounds like a really poorly thought out curse because that doesn't sound bad at all there was always two right. and with each generation there would be a new two mm -hmm. Bridget tamed a wolf as well didn't she? Yeah so I believe the, so the, We had this before the older podcast about the the king's pet wolf goes missing uh, but the king has also issued an edict where he'll give gold out to anyone who captures a wild wolf and kills mm. it. So someone ends up killing the king's pet wolf. <laughs> and Deir uh, not Deirdre, but Bridget just walks into the woods and gets any old wolf and brings it back to save the man's life. Lady, you were going to tell us about cats. Yeah, I did some uh, pretty interesting things came up about cats um, <laughs> and one of my favourite facts that I found out wasn't to do with Ireland but it was actually to do with the Egyptians right so they okay. were said to be one of the only tribes of people that ever worshipped cats as gods and what they would do if the, the house cat passed away you would shave your eyebrows off in mm. mourning for the cats and then when the eyebrows grew back it meant that the mourning was over <laughs> this I was and, and, and then I was looking into it a bit more and, and if someone in the house as well had passed yeah. away you would shave your entire head 
yeah. in mourning and then when the hair mm. grew back I thought that was great but in looking at more like your European studies and like beliefs of where the specifically it was black cats so yeah. and no other type of cat just just black ones and specifically it was believed that witches would be able to turn into in mm. Ireland into a black cat mm. eight times and then on the ninth time you would have to remain as mm. the black cat mm. yeah. yeah have you heard of that I, I have heard yeah. of that bit yeah, and then so this is where the kind of belief of demonic presences within cats comes yeah. from. And of course, the king of the cats turns up in, the, in a couple of stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that they were really peculiar, them stories. They were very, very odd. Yeah, to find out that you're, the cat that's been living with you all of these years is actually the king of all cats. Yeah, oh, well. there's, there's one especially about, about the farmer's cat. Mm. The farmer, he, he goes from his house and he's walking down the road and he sees eight cats carrying a coffin mm, right. going down the road and farm, oh, Jesus runs back to the wife tells the <laughs> wife you know I'm after seeing eight cats carrying a coffin and his own cat you know comes up <laughs> all hair shot up and says king of the cats Tom Cat is dead I must be the new king and the cat ran into the fireplace into the fire and blew up into smoke went up through the chimney and they never saw the cat again just having the second in line for the throne yeah. living on your on the rug in front of the fireplace all that time. <laughs> Cats do get around, though. They do. Know. They do. And as I was researching this, I live with two black, uh, one white and black, and then one black and white mm. cat. So every time I was reading something about it, I was like, mm. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you plotting against me? <laughs> all cats are always plotting all the time. That's yeah. what they do. I, I don't yeah. know. I think that yeah, the superstitions have, have really stuck to do with <laughs> black cats. And the one of um, from the two of the Danon, Nuada uh, was said to have uh, one cat's eye. He lost yeah. an eye in battle and him and his porter went to these medical experts and the experts said, well, we could get the cat from the dead cat's eyes and we would be able to put one in your eye and one in the porter's eye. So he said, yeah, OK. He got one eye in and then apparently he was unable to sleep the cat's presence stayed yeah. in the eye and the cat would have him up all night looking for mice <laughs> and he was unable to sleep from that moment onwards <laughs> and then there's um the pangerborn from the old poem panger's cat yeah the cat that would hunt while the monk was writing oh i actually i have a poem here it was said to be about the the kilkenny cat so there was an old phrase in ireland uh, god save all in this building except the cat <laughs> so when you walked into a house that was a phrase you would say but um, there was once two cats from Kilkenny each thought there was one cat too many so they fought and they fit and they scratched and they bit and instead of two cats there ain't any oh. and I thought that was nice yeah when I was in uh, <laughs> when I was in Sean O'Casey's uh, Cockadoodle Dandy years and years ago the, the kind of the shady key character would walk into the house God save all here God save all here, barring the cat and the dog, because God knows they have no soul and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the dog is well getting dragged in. <laughs> oh no, the poor dog. <laughs> I found out actually there was this interesting uh, festival that used to take place in the 17th century, particularly in the lowlands in mm. Scotland, and it was called Tarham. And it was basically you would collect all these black cats only black cats and if it was a black cat with a chest of three white hairs it meant that that was a godly presence within the cats you would mm. save these ones you would get the black cats and you would burn them alive on skewers 
for days and days and days. Oh, and no. then you would eat the cats and it was believed that demonic yeah. presences and spirits of the devil would be within the black cats. And then once you consume them, you would actually be able to ask questions. So godly questions about the future and what yeah. was going to happen. And it was a big deal. I know I was doing a lot of research into it. And, it, <laughs> and then this had gone on for so long that it was Pope Gregory the 40th. He, I, I had to actually Google the Roman numeral because I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure which Roman numeral that is. He was, um, had heard so much about this festival that he made everyone in London kill all the black cats that mm. were in their houses or out on the streets. And it was believed that because of this, the black plague took over. And mm. that was wow. what made most people die because there was no cats to kill any of the rats in London because of that. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Yeah, even even nowadays, black cats, they're often yeah. used um, for, for bait and dog fighting. Oh, oh no. don't tell me that, Stephen. No, and here I am talking about people eating them. Not, not, <laughs> even, not even worried. But I, um, I was looking up this story mm-hmm. and it was said that this, this woman, she, she was courting with, with this man. It was, it was down in Tipperary. And um, the man, you know, they were canoodling, one might oh, say. Yeah. But she wanted to marry this man and he, he was not having any. He did not want to marry her. So her and her best friend decided, we've heard whisper that if we got a black cat and we put it in a sack, they throw it from one another over a wall until the cat was dead. If they got the liver out of the cat and they grinded it up into, dehydrated it into a powder and mixed it with a certain type of tea, if they would drink the liver, whoever drank the liver, it would act as a love potion and they would only be able to say yes to the person, right? So it's equivalently oh. your 18th century roofie. Yeah, it's, it's literally it's, it's a magic animal cruelty roofie. Yeah. <laughs> so she gave it to your man. Oh, he's Lord. drinking the tea and he slowly begins to say, yes, they're getting married the eve of their oh. marriage. And then the family suddenly realize mm, there's something not quite right going on here. So they go and they kidnap the woman. They find out that she's been doing all this witchcraft for all these weeks on their son. So they take the son, they bring him home and it takes weeks and weeks to drain everything out of his body. And then when they go back to see the the young woman in her home, she's now this old withered woman (laughs) from doing magic witchcraft from drinking cat, from doing the cat's livers like, which I thought was great. <laughs> I'm traumatized, flab- I'm flabbergasted. I, I think we just need to quickly clarify. Clarify, uh, love potions are not consent. Yeah, a hundred percent. But again, it's one of those folklore things where, you know, if they tried it once, they'd realize it didn't work. <laughs> but even today, they don't. They still use cats as a lot of religious purposes in Africa, like eating different cats' parts. Did I just make that up? Possibly, I don't know. No, no, it a hundred percent is. They still use uh, bones and and different things like that. And if it was believed now, shamanism, maybe. Yeah. I know, um, tiger bone and stuff is often used in China. Um, but in Ireland, it was yeah. believed if a cat died and you buried, um, you put a magic, well, magic, you put beans into the cat. <laughs> As the cat died and you buried it outside in the garden. Once you would leave the cat outside, you would be able to become invisible. That, that <laughs> reminds me of, there was a similar thing to that with uh, crows. Okay. If you took, um, took out a crow's heart and cut three 
just cut into it three times and put a bean into each hole you'd cut into it. Yes. And then yeah. took one of the beans and put it in your mouth Um, and just go, I want to be invisible now. You would be invisible. That's strange. I wonder where that comes from. Uh, that was, it was, I think it was Lady Wilde who recorded that, who wrote that down. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of weird crow lore. Reminds crow you of, lore, I love it. Reminds me of those viral videos, you know, where the family tells the small child that they're invisible now. They're, <laughs> oh, they're and great. They're, and everyone pretends the child is invisible. <laughs> and nine out of ten the times, the child doesn't go, oh great, I'm invisible now, I can do what I want. The child goes, oh no, nobody can see me now. <laughs> and starts to bawl crying. <laughs> Oh god! It was like that that Kevin Bacon movie. Do you remember when he got he got turned invisible? The invi- I think it's actually called the Invisible Man. And then no, he, you're he, thinking of Hollow Man. Oh, is oh, it? Oh yeah, yeah, Hollow Man. And he goes around starts murdering everybody. Yeah, he yeah. starts to go mad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what you'd expect people to do. I'm suspicious <laughs> of these people, right? That in this in this so-called turning invisible, and they don't do anything. What are they doing? That's a wasted opportunity. Surely you'd be going. Doing something like rob a car. I, I don't know. Like something like, that you couldn't do. If you had severe social anxiety, I think turning invisible would be a fantastic power to have. Yeah. <laughs> no one would talk to you. You wouldn't have to deal with anyone. Although some people, I went to college with a girl who mastered the art of becoming invisible whenever she had to be selected for anything. <laughs> <laughs> she was able to just morph into any background that she was standing in. The class would be over and she, oh, well, I didn't have to do that. She just mastered this art of being invisible. I still prefer telekinesis. <laughs> I'd love to be able to pick up my, you know, when I forget where my glasses are or where my coffee cup is. I'd love to be able to just pick it up with my mind and move it closer <laughs> to myself. Would that be your superpower of choice? Telekinesis, yeah, okay. yeah. I think I'd go with um the healing ability so that, uh, like none of the stupid nonsense I do would have any long-lasting consequences. Yeah, but, you know, self-healing, yeah, but healing others would be nothing but trouble. You'd have, <laughs> yeah. you'd have a queue outside your door the minute you... I think it would be great to be able to be able to have the power to deep fry anything that you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this from time to time. Because everything tastes good deep fried and you're just like, mm, deep fried aubergine. Meow. That, that wouldn't even just be pyrokinesis though you'd need oil so it'd be like in batter no yeah. you just and it just happens <laughs> it's magic did I read somewhere the calamari is <laughs> no we're getting off <laughs> we're getting wildly <laughs> off I read somewhere the uh, calamari isn't really like an Asian dish or anything it's just something that some American marketing guy oh, came I up with to get rid of some squid I thought tastes so good. calamari was like Italian or something. Was it? I don't know. I have no I idea. I definitely don't think it's Asian in any way, though. Yeah. Because they don't tend to, they tend to eat really healthy. Well, yeah, yeah. Deep fried, maybe not. Yeah. But, um, yeah or I mean, alive. Things tend to be moving a lot. What? Have you <laughs> there's, not seen there's... this this trend of eating the live octopuses? The, the mini ones, they're, um, they're about the size of your hand and then one of them jumps on the girl's face and they actually have suckers in their mouth and it started like sucking on them and she's there pulling its head trying to get it off the um, side of her face. Wow. <laughs> they, they've, they've cut off... It's because the, the octopus, its nervous system is so scattered throughout its body, including its brain. It's yeah. just scattered through the whole thing. They've technically cut off its head, but that's only part of the brain. So oh, they, okay. they'll they put it down in the dish and put on um 
some soy sauce and the sodium reacts with its nervous system makes it start moving around and oh, twitching and no. stuff they're supposed to be incredibly in- intelligent they no they're massively intelligent and they can escape from anywhere have you ever seen those videos where the, the, the squid has like just an inch or so manages to squeeze through into the next water tank there was um, one aquarium where um their crabs kept dying and they didn't know why they kept disappearing and they watched on the security camera one night and what was happening was that an octopus was coming out of its tank going across to the crab tank getting inside and eating the crabs and then going back oh wow i am firmly afraid of everything that lives in the ocean <laughs> no like on a serious what level. about sea otters no. <laughs> Those like, guys that lie back and hold hands. I see I behind them. them eyes. Well, then we go into the Doverku. <laughs> <laughs> the Doverku, yeah, the King Otter. Steve, do you want to tell the listeners a bit more about that? So, yeah, the Doverku, it is an otter about the size of a very large dog. It's got the mark of a cross on its back. This is a story I tell in the well a lot. Uh-huh. Um, it's said to be able to control or command other otters or even though they're just sea creatures in general or water creatures in general. And from the stories, they're actually fairly murderous. <laughs> they, um, See? The, See, I had reason. <laughs> the, the story I have is uh, one kills a woman named Gronya Nikunli and her husband, Turlock, he comes along, shoots it in the head, and then its mate comes and oh. takes revenge or tries to. Turlock somehow, for some reason, forgets that he can reload the gun. So he grabs a knife and runs away. <laughs> and he has a, a horse. He he sets up in um a ruined castle. And he has a horse stood in the entryway so that the Doverku can't come through. And it jumps through the side of the horse. And gets stuck trying to come out of it. Wow. So then Turlock stabs it in the heart. But um, their howl is supposed to sound like whistling. And... Yeah, kind of like that. And there is um the giant river otter in South America is nearly the right size yeah. and it's it's the noise it makes does really sound like a kind okay. of whistling howl. So I wouldn't be surprised if one like got battered across the Atlantic or something at some point because the um the gravestone for Gronia it has a Doverku carved on it and it is there. It's like an actual gravestone. Where is it? It's in uh County Sligo. Is near uh, Loch Lanad, and um, so they, she was killed by it, and then they carved the thing that killed her into the gravestone, yeah, and, and a hand holding a knife. It's oh. <laughs> crazy. You have to admire it. <laughs> Turning to plants now, my favorite plants: the slow because you can make gin out of it. <laughs> uh, I like slows. Have you ever eaten slows? I don't, don't think, think so, I have. No. no, they're incredibly bitter. <laughs> Make, like your whole face seizes up from eating them. That sounds actually delicious to yeah. me. Is that where slow gin comes from then? Yeah. 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 Okay. Blackberries, of course. Did we pick blackberries as children? Yeah, yeah I, I have a blackberry bush currently outside my back garden, and my grandmother painted all the walls, and there's mm. paint all over them. And I proceeded <laughs> to still eat them. My neighbor was screaming over the back wall saying I, I, I was going to die. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't. I'm still here. Just I... deep fried them with my <laughs> powers. Deep fried blackberries. <laughs> I used to make uh, pick loads of blackberries when I was living in Drogheda and make blackberry pie. That was really oh, tasty. Nice. Do you think it's an Irish thing to do that? Or is it? do people do it? Everywhere. No, I think uh, the blackberry grows in several parts of Europe. Yeah. Okay. 
I always used to wonder if that was a real Irish thing to stop by the side of the M50 and take <laughs> blackberries <laughs> off a bush. <laughs> there was a neighbour of ours, not a neighbour, he lived a good bit away. Kerry neighbours are like about 40 minutes apart. <laughs> so, and he, well, he only drove his tractor down his gar- the road led to his house once a week on a Sunday to go to Mass. Mm. Uh, the rest of the time the tractor was idle except when it was being used in the farm so it was the perfect place to pick blackberries because he was the only car gone down there mm-hmm. and it was just hedges and hedges of blackberries right down to his house Oof. Beautiful. delicious any plant lore come to mind oh, there's the, the holly tree and it's supposed to have uh, protective qualities yes. like it's said to be able to protect from fairies witchcraft and there's one story about it protecting people from landlords. Right. Oh. There was um, this very, very poor family shortly before the famine. And they were very, very far behind on their rent. And they asked the local wise woman what they should do about it because they knew that the landlord would come to evict them soon. And so she told them to go out into the woods and to find the biggest holly tree, the one with the richest, darkest leaves and the brightest, reddest berries and to take a bough from that and hang it above their door. So they went and they did that and they find the bough and they hang it above their door. And they were really confused because they were expecting this to like help make their farm produce more crops that they could sell or help their cow produce more milk that they could sell and nothing like that happened. Nothing happened to help them make any more money at all. And so the landlord, he did eventually come down the road to evict them. And as he was coming down the road, he found that he couldn't enter the front gate. Like there was some force pushing him back away from it. So he wasn't ever able to actually get into the house and serve them their eviction notice. (laughs) And they just kept living there and never paid their rent because of the holly bough they'd been told to hang above the front door that protected them. Oh, wealthy Protestants are allergic to holly. (laughs) (laughs) You learn something new every day, don't you? Do you think that might have anything, maybe, probably not, to do with holly wreaths? <laughs> fawn off spirits? But yeah, yeah, yeah p- um, for protection from spirits yeah. and that kind of thing, possibly. They were also a symbol of fertility and stuff because they, they're evergreen. They don't die mm. during the winter. Well, the holly is used at Christmas because mm. the, the red berries and the thorns are supposed to remind people of the crucifixion of Jesus. Yep. Uh, the the crown of thorns that he'd wear, and red because he was blood bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. Well, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is odd. It's <laughs> morbid, is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I have a terrible cold right now because <laughs> the sun is shining, so my <laughs> allergies are are up through the through the roof. Well, the the holly branch I think of is the the holly branches from the cave of Keshkorn. Mm-hmm. So Finn and uh, Nafina are out hunting and law brag, yeah, I'll find sunny day because that's how the stories have to start. Finn and Conan, his, his good friend, are standing on the hill of Keshkorn while the rest of the warriors are down in the valley beating or driving the prey up towards them. But they're standing on the hill of, of Keshkorn and Conan, the king of the fairies at the time, was also watching the hunt. He hates Finn McCool. It's all humans. But he hates Finn McCool in particular. But before you feel too sorry for, for Finn, remember 
that the hill of Keshkord is the king's home. Finn and Conan are essentially standing on the roof of their worst enemy's house with two of their favourite dogs conducting a hunt. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I walk up tomorrow to find my worst enemy standing on the roof of my house with two of his favourite dogs, <laughs> maybe drinking a few cans, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be too happy about it. <laughs> but luckily for the king, he has four daughters, and uglier females of any species have <laughs> never before trod the turf of Ireland. They, they, they each stood about well over six foot four. We think, modern times, we think of fairies as quite small, but these fairy women are about six foot four. They have thick black wiry hair, bright red glowing eyes. Their black twisted mouths are, are full of fangs, and nails are not ordinary fingernails. They're massive spikes that can skewer a man, and the hair coming out from their noses comes all the way down to their toes. I've met uh, this woman. Uh, I, I think I might be related to this woman. <laughs> uh, the king, <coughs> realising that Finn and Conan are separated from the rest of the men, decides to seize his chance and he sends three of his daughters out and they appear to Finn and Conan and they have these massive holly branches and they are reeling yarn around the holly branch around and around and around and around and around and around in a circle and it's so hypnotic that the the two men uh, become weaker and weaker and weaker until they're as weak as babies and then they're they're rolled into the back of the cave of Keshkorn. About 200 men of Nefidia arrived and they all fall weak at the holly branches and they're all rolled into the back of Keshkorn. But outside, when they're in the deepest and the blackest part of it, outside they growling and howling and yowling and barking because all of the dogs of Nefidia, uh, including the chief dogs, Bran and Skjolod, who are Finn's cousins. <laughs> uh, that's a very long story. Bran and Skjolod and the rest of the dogs have arrived and they're trailed by the master of the hounds, the previous leader of Nefidia, uh, Gol Mokmurda, Gol of the One Eye. And the ladies, they round on Gaul because they think that he's a coward. They think he's arriving late because he doesn't want to do any fighting. But it turns out that Gaul, with one blow, kills two of the sisters, separating them right down the middle, such that there were knees and toes to the left and noses and whiskers to the right. And the third sister demands protection. The men in ancient Ireland were obliged to give a woman protection. It was how the high kings stopped all of the warrior bands from wrecking the place, essentially. They, they, if a woman asked for your protection, you were obliged to give it. The kings knew that they couldn't keep murder off the cards. That would be too far-fetched. Uh, <laughs> but if a woman asked for your protection, you were obliged to give it. Sensible enough rule. Uh, so he's obliged to protect her, even if he is technically protecting her from himself. And she can sense that he's a bit reluctant, and, and Golmach Borda isn't really well known for being the keeper of the rules. <laughs> she, she tells him, Spare me, and I lift the enchantment on the other 200 men. He, he, of course, agrees, and they come out into the sunlight. But then the fourth sister turns up, and she's bigger and uglier than all of the other three combined. And Finn turns to his son, Oshin. He says, Oshin, my dear heart, kill her for me. 
<laughs> oh, I could not, Father, for I am still too weak. <laughs> and then he turns to his grandson, Oscar, who should be fit and strong enough. Oscar, surely you will bring the monster down. Oh, I could not, and his knees and ankles were trembling in fright. And Gull Mahmoud just steps forward and says, I will finish what I started. And he defeats her as well, separating her down the middle, as he did the, the other two sisters. And then Finn turns to Gull, saying, I have a daughter, a beautiful girl, sir, a blossom of the dawn, says Gull. She will be your wife, said Finn. She will be my wife, said Gull. And that was how marriages were arranged in those days. They didn't even ask the girl if she was interested. Gull Mahmurda is important because Gull Mahmurda had murdered. Well, murder mm. is a is a, uh, a very loose term mm. in those days. He murdered his father. So he'd essentially married his daughter off to his, uh, to his father's murder. Different times. Yeah. Different times. I love that story. <laughs> Uh, killed without permission might be the better term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, anything going on in the news that strikes us before we, before we wrap up? Um, anything striking us in, in the know, news? I suppose... The I try not to read the news. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, find it's too depressing. Declaration of climate emergency, maybe? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> were they, are we were the second country, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... Were there nine people in, in the, the doll, doll at that yeah. time? Oh, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah. As, uh, uh, just to quote Detective Pikachu, <laughs> which I told everyone in the staff, I would somehow sneak a reference <laughs> in that old to, Irish creature into, into Pikachu. Detective Pikachu. Uh, if, if you don't believe in climate change at this point, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, any other business? No, very good. Yeah, yeah I think we're better. Uh, that's great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. Mm-hmm. I was Paddy. This was Lenny. And this uh, was... This is Stephen. Thank you. Thank you all very much. If you want to reach out to us, you can get us at Leprechaun Museum on Twitter and uh, Facebook and um. Instagram. And uh, you can use hashtag ask a storyteller to ask us questions for the next podcast. And on that note, listeners.